Good evening, secret agent comrade. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to read more of the Dead Sea Scrolls, beginning and maybe potentially ending with the Thanksgiving hymns of the Qumran community. Do you accept? This message will not self-destruct in five seconds because you have to suffer through this with the man reading the Thanksgiving hymns of the Qumran community. All right, everybody, let's jump right in to hymn number 13. Like we said, the promise here is to read all of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if we don't read all of the Dead Sea Scrolls, then somebody might have some wiggle room to say, but no, sir, pastor, you got it wrong because this secret super esoteric part of it says this in X, Y, or Z fashion, which proves the Da Vinci Code correct. Well, we're not doing that. We are going to jump right in and we're going to read the entirety of it. So hymn number 13. I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast not abandoned me whilst I sojourned among a people burdened with sin. Thou hast not judged me according to my guilt, nor hast thou abandoned me because of the designs of my inclination. But thou hast saved my life from the pit. Thou hast brought thy servant deliverance in the midst of lions destined for the guilty, and of lionesses which crush the bones of the mighty and drink the blood of the brave. Thou hast caused me to dwell with the many fishers who spread a net upon the face of the water, and with the hunters of the children of iniquity. Thou hast established me there for justice. Thou hast confirmed the counsel of truth in my heart and the waters of the covenant for those who seek it. Thou hast closed up the mouth of the young lions whose teeth are like a sword and whose great teeth are like a pointed spear, like the venom of dragons. All their design is for robbery and they have lain in wait, but they have not opened their mouth against me. Now, real quick pause there. Couple points. Uh, when they say the waters of the covenant for those who seek it, there may have been some sort of uh, baptism-like rite amidst the covenant entry ceremony in Qumran. Does that mean that Christians stole it? I mean, somebody might make the argument that since John the Baptist, who baptized people in the Jordan River, may have been a part of the Essenes, and that maybe means that Christians get baptism from that. But they'd be wrong. I mean, baptism has been around for a long time. A ritual washing, for crying out loud, has been something in multiple religions throughout all of time. Qumran didn't invent it, but our Lord Christ gave us the sacrament of baptism, which actually works. All those ritual washings and everything like that were precursors to the actual sacrament of baptism. Uh, second thing, you might be wondering, um, like the venom of dragons, do dragons have poison? Well, that seems to have been kind of the idea of it. Um, unless maybe there's a misinterpretation here, a mistranslation, where instead of dragons, it's supposed to be serpents or vipers or something like that. Uh, there have been, historically speaking, um, accounts of mythical dragons that had poison to them. Which, of course, that would come from a society whose uh, interactions with reptiles included poisonous snakes. So, yeah, dragons would have poison, at least in their estimation of it. But we continue on reading. For thou, O God, hast sheltered me from the children of men, and hast hidden thy law within me against the time when thou shouldst reveal thy salvation to me. 
For thou hast not forsaken me in my soul's distress, and thou hast heard my cry in the bitterness of my soul, and when I groaned thou didst consider my sorrowful complaint. Thou hast preserved the soul of the poor one in the den of lions, which sharpened their tongue like a sword. Thou hast closed up their teeth, O God, lest they rend the soul of the poor and needy. Thou hast made their tongue go back like a sword to its scabbard, lest the soul of thy servant be blotted out. Thou hast dealt wondrously with the poor one to manifest thy might within me in the presence of the sons of men. Thou hast placed him in the melting pot, like gold in the fire, and like silver refined in the melting pot of the smelters, to be purified seven times. The wicked and fierce have stormed against me with their afflictions. They have pounded my soul all day. But thou, O my God, hast changed the tempest to a breeze. Thou hast delivered the soul of the poor one like a bird from the net and like prey from the mouth of lions. Wow! An actual Thanksgiving hymn. Not, thank you that everybody sucks except me and nobody has free will so we'd better use our free will to do all this stuff. No, this is an actual Thanksgiving hymn and I'm thankful to actually read one from them that qualifies as a real Thanksgiving hymn. They're clearly drawing a parallel between their experiences and the lion's den, probably thinking about uh, Daniel here, you know, Daniel and the lion's den. And they're using lions as a metaphor for slanderers, people who have been haranguing the faith of the individual member of the community. Interesting stuff. It's an actual personal experience. But let's move on to hymn 14 and see if they go on a roll here with real Thanksgiving hymns. <clears throat> Blessed art thou, O Lord, for thou hast not abandoned the fatherless or despised the poor. For thy might is boundless and thy glory beyond measure. And wonderful heroes minister to thee. Yet hast thou done marvels among the humble in the mire underfoot. And among those eager for righteousness, causing all the well-loved poor to rise up together from the trampling. But I have been iniquity to those who contend with me, dispute and quarreling to my friends, wrath to the members of my covenant, and murmuring and protest to all my companions. All who have eaten my bread have lifted their heel against me, and all those joined to my counsel have mocked me with wicked lips. The members of my covenant have rebelled and have murmured round about me. They have gone as talebearers before the children of mischief concerning the mystery which thou hast hidden in me. And to show thy greatness through me, and because of their guilt, thou hast hidden the fountain of understanding in the counsel of truth. Okay, shouldn't have gotten my hopes up there for, uh, for you know, two hits. <laughs> two swings and two hits here. Thanks, God, you haven't abandoned me. But man, people are arguing with me. I'm going to quote a psalm when I say have lifted their heel against me. All who have eaten my bread. Yeah, just like, just like the psalms. Oh man, this is hard. So they're not going to get my secret knowledge. I'm going I'm to go home. I'm going to call my mom and go home. Let's keep reading. They consider, but the mischief of their heart, with devilish schemings, they unsheath a perfidious tongue, from which ever springs the poison of dragons. And like serpents, which creep in the dust, so do they let fly their poisonous darts, vipers venom against the, which there is no charm, and this has brought incurable pain, a malignant scourge within the body of thy servant, causing his spirit to faint and draining his strength so that he maintains no firm stand. Okay, spitting vipers, I guess, is what they're talking about. But when they say, vipers venom against which there is no charm, 
little bit of a spoiler alert, guys. Qumran was all about the law. They were all about the song that goes, la, 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 la. They loved the law. They loved the Mosaic law very much, but they actually weren't exactly opposed to just, just a little bit of magic, just a little bit of astrology, just a, just, just a hair of divination. They were happy to do that every now and then when they could get away with it. We'll see that later, but we have to keep reading in these uh, Thanksgiving hymns. <clears throat> They have overtaken me in a narrow pass without escape, and there is no rest for me in my trial. They sound my censure upon a harp, and their murmuring and storming upon a zither. Anguish seizes me, like the pangs of a woman in travail. And my heart is troubled within me. I am clothed in blackness, and my tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth, for I fear the mischief of their heart, and their inclination towards evil appears as bitterness before me. The light of my face is dimmed to darkness, and my radiance is turned to decay. For thou, O God, didst widen my heart, but they straighten it with affliction, and hedge me about with darkness. I eat the bread of wailing and drink unceasing tears. And truly, my eyes are dimmed by grief, and my soul by daily bitterness. Groaning and sorrow encompass me, and ignominy covers my face. My bread is turned into an adversary, and my drink into an accuser. It has entered into my bones, causing my spirit to stagger and my strength to fail. According to the mysteries of sin, they change the works of God by their transgression. Truly, I am bound with unterrible ropes, and with unbreakable chains a thick wall fences me in. Iron bars and gates of bronze, my prison is counted with the abyss as being without any escape, dot, dot, dot. The torrents of Belial have encompassed my soul, leaving me without deliverance, dot, dot, dot. Well, that's him uh, 13. On to him 14. Dot, dot, dot. Thou hast unstopped my ears to the correction of those who reprove with justice, dot, dot, dot. Thou hast saved me from the congregation of vanity and from the assembly of violence. Thou hast brought me into the council of dot, 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 and hast purified me of sin. And I know there is hope for those who turn from transgression and for those who abandon sin, dot, 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 and to walk without wickedness in the way of thy heart. Okay, I have to stop there. I just want to say, the council of dot, dot, dot will see you now. <laughs> and continuing on. I am consoled for the roaring of the peoples, and for the tumult of kingdoms when they assemble. For in a little while, I know, thou wilt raise up survivors among thy people, and a remnant within thine inheritance. Thou wilt purify and cleanse them of their sin, for all their deeds are in thy truth. Thou wilt judge them in thy great loving kindness, and in the multitude of thy mercies, and in the abundance of thy pardon, teaching them according to thy word. And thou wilt establish them in thy counsel according to the uprightness of thy truth. Thou wilt do these things for thy glory and for thine own sake, to magnify the law and the truth, and to enlighten the members of thy counsel in the midst of the sons of men, that they may recount thy marvels for everlasting generations, and meditate unceasingly upon thy mighty deeds. All the nations shall acknowledge thy truth, and all the people thy glory. Um, <clears throat> real quick. Thou wilt purify and cleanse them of their sin, for all their deeds are in thy truth. Okay. God is going to purify and cleanse people because his truth, by which we can only ascertain they mean, like, you know, 
God forcing people to sin according to an eternal decree from millions of years or eternity past. And then thou wilt judge them in thy great loving kindness and in the multitude of thy mercies, thy pardon according to thy word. Hmm. Well, that's all for the survivors. We can't forget this. The, the stanza starts with, um, I am consoled for the roaring of the peoples and for the tumult of the kingdoms when they assemble. This is for, you know, when he says, Thou wilt raise up survivors among thy people and give the loving kindness and the mercies and everything. But then when he gets to, Thou wilt do these things for thy glory and for thine own sake. Okay, theology of the glory, more Calvinism. To magnify the law and the truth and to enlighten the members of thy council in the midst of the sons of men that they may recount thy marvels for everlasting generations and meditate unceasingly upon thy mighty deeds. Okay, so we're getting a kind of a Calvinist picture here. Again, Qumran liked to collect theologies. They weren't really strict about what they truly believed. But then we get to this line, All the nations shall acknowledge thy truth, and all the people thy glory. No, they won't. Dude, Qumran, your own theology says... And according to the war scroll, you say you're going to kill them all. According to your theology of two spirits, where God in his eternal decree possesses the bad people with a bad spirit to ensure that Belial takes possession of them, these people will not acknowledge God's truth and all the people his glory. Maybe from hell. But never in a positive light. I mean, come on. Come on here. Yes, I acknowledge that I am being killed by the Qumran community. Oh, they're throwing their diamond spears at me and I'm dying. The demon God put inside of my soul is, oh, it's dragging me to hell. But I acknowledge God's glory and his truth. Like, okay. Now, when, when Christians say every knee will bow, that is biblical. Yes. But it's, it's in the sense where... You were going to live your entire life. You are going to live your entire life as either a Christian or a non-Christian. You will be either a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, slated for eternal joy and life in Jesus Christ, or you are someone who by your sinful nature and rejection of the gospel decides not to do that. And even the means of grace might be such, like, efficacious that you could, if you wanted to, accept the gospel when you hear it, but grace is resistible. People have zero excuse. So yes, every knee shall bow. But, in the Qumran theology, God specifically brings people about and has them possessed slash guided by a, a certain bad spirit they will just never do so. They are slated for death and damnation because that is what they are, well, that's what they were made for. It's almost like, um, I have no mouth and I must scream. I think I've brought this up before. You know, their conception of God is as this computer that really, really, really hates humanity and just wants them to live for the sake of suffering. At least in biblical Lutheran theology, you had a chance. But we continue on. For thou wilt bring thy glorious salvation to all the men of thy counsel, to those who share a common lot with the angels of the face. Another uh, teaser there for their weird angelic theology. And among them shall be no mediator to invoke thee, and no messenger to make reply. For dot dot dot. 
they shall reply according to thy glorious word, and shall be thy princes in the company of the angels. They shall send out a bud forever, like a flower of the fields, and shall cause a shoot to grow into the boughs of an everlasting plant. It shall cover the whole earth with its shadow, and its crown shall reach to the clouds. Its roots shall go down to the abyss, and all the rivers of Eden shall water its branches. A source of light shall become an eternal, ever-flowing fountain, and in its bright flames all the sons of iniquity shall be consumed. It shall be a fire to devour all sinful men in utter destruction. Yep, all the sons of iniquity shall be consumed in an ever-flowing, eternal fountain with bright flames. Oh, I acknowledge you now, but I was destined for this. Urgh, burning. And we continue on. They who bore the yoke of my testimony have been led astray by teachers of lies and have rebelled against the service of righteousness. Whereas thou, O my God, didst command them to mend their ways by walking in the way of holiness, where no man goes who is uncircumcised or unclean or violent, they have staggered aside from the way of thy heart and languish in great wretchedness. A council of Belial is in their heart, and in accordance with their wicked design they wallow in sin. See, he even admits his own theological priors here in the middle of that. A council of Belial is in their heart. The, the demon king that they keep referring to, Belial, is kind of whispering to their soul here. Do bad. Do bad stuff. Speak lies. Follow after lies. Like, yes, demon possession is real. But when you get to the thought that every single individual human who is not part of the Qumran community is possessed by one of these demons, I have many questions. <laughs> but we keep going. I am as a sailor in a ship amidst furious seas. Their waves and all their billows roar against me. There is no calm in the whirlwind that I may restore my soul, no path that I may straighten my way on the face of the waters. The deeps resound to my groaning, and my soul has journeyed to the gates of death. But I shall be as one who enters a fortified city, as one who seeks refuge behind a high wall, until deliverance comes. I will lean on thy truth, O my God, for thou wilt set the foundation on rock, and the framework by the measuring cord of justice, and the tried stones thou wilt lay by the plumb line of truth, to build a mighty wall which shall not sway, and no man entering there shall stagger. For no enemy shall ever invade it, since its doors shall be doors of protection, through which no man shall pass, and its bars shall be firm, and no man shall break them. No rabble shall enter in with their weapons of war, until all the arrows of the war of wickedness have come to an end. And then at the time of judgment the sword of God shall hasten, and all the sons of his truth shall awake to overthrow wickedness. All the sons of iniquity shall be no more. The hero shall bend his bow, the fortress shall open on to endless space, and the everlasting gates shall send out weapons of war. They shall be mighty from end to end of the earth, and there shall be no escape. For the guilty of heart in their battle, they shall be utterly trampled down without any remnant. There shall be no hope in the greatness of their might, no refuge for the mighty warriors, for the battle shall be to the Most High God, dot, dot, dot. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, hmm, is this another internal contradiction of the Qumran community? Because we just read them going, Whereas thou, O my God, didst command them to mend their ways by walking in the way of holiness, where no man goes who is uncircumcised or unclean or violent. 
But then in the next couple of stanzas here, we hear the hero shall bend his bow, the fortress shall open onto endless space, and the everlasting gates shall send out weapons of war. Now, even though the writer here in his hymn says, you know, I shall be as one who enters a fortified city. Um, he's talking about, I will lean on thy truth, O my God, for thou wilt set the foundation on rock and framework by the measuring cord of justice. Yes, this is figurative language, apparently, kind of, where he says, you know, they shall be mighty from end to end of the earth, and there shall be no escape for the guilty of heart in their battle. They shall be utterly trampled down without any remnant. Now, the idea would be is that this is a figurative spiritual defeat of the sons of wickedness. But even if it's not allegorical, if this is a physical representation, we do have to hand it to the Qumran community that they aren't necessarily contradicting themselves when they, you know, decry against violence, but then also celebrate the future violence that they will enact upon God's enemies. Why is this? Because when the Bible condemns violence, it is condemning the violence of the wicked. It's kind of the idea of evil, violent, manipulative actions that harm people versus justice, using violence for justice. When you hear something condemning violence in the Bible, it is condemning using violence for wickedness. How do we know this 100%? Because God is described in the Psalms over and over again as a warrior who cuts down the wicked, who kills his enemies. And is God evil for using violence? Is God evil for using uh, Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, to take the children of Judah into exile? Absolutely not. So let's face it, if we're called to imitate God, God is a warrior, it's okay to say yes. Guys with big arms and weapons and guns and stuff should be able to establish justice upon the land. So violence in and of itself isn't bad. Even in the uh, pastoral qualifications of First and Second Timothy, or just First Timothy, I believe, where we hear that a pastor should not be a violent man, it's that idea, a pastor who uses violence to get what he wants. The image here being a guy that maybe he hears some false doctrine coming from one of his congregation members and he hits him saying, shut up and don't say that ever again. That's not biblical. That guy is kind of disqualified for loving violence in that fashion. But a pastor who, I don't know, maybe he's a part-time bouncer or something like that, isn't necessarily sinning by doing that, even if he really likes his job of uh, protecting people in the club from drug addicts trying to break the windows. So we continue on. Hoist a banner, O you who lie in the dust. O bodies gnawed by worms, raise up an ensign for the destruction of wickedness. The sinful shall be destroyed in the battles against the ungodly. The scourging flood, when it advances, shall not invade the stronghold. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. As for me, I am dumb. Yes, you are. My arm is torn from its shoulder, and my foot has sunk into the mire. My eyes are closed by the spectacle of evil, and my ears by the crying of blood. My heart is dismayed by the mischievous design, for Belial is manifest in their evil inclination. All the foundations of my edifice totter, and my bones are pulled out of joint. My bowels heave like a ship in a violent tempest, and my heart is utterly distressed. 
a whirlwind engulfs me because of the mischief of their sin. And that's the end of that hymn. Kind of ending on a downer note there, but oh well. We move on to hymn number 15. I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast upheld me by thy strength. Thou hast shed thy Holy Spirit upon me that I may not stumble. Thou hast strengthened me before the battles of wickedness. And during all their disasters, thou hast not permitted that fear should cause me to desert thy covenant. Thou hast made me like a strong tower, a high wall, and hast established my edifice upon rock. Eternal foundations serve for my ground, and all my ramparts are a tried wall which shall not sway. Thou hast placed me, O my God, among the branches of the council of holiness. Thou hast established my mouth in thy covenant, and my tongue is like that of thy disciples. Whereas the spirit of disaster is without a mouth, and all the sons of iniquities without a reply, for the lying lips shall be dumb. For thou wilt condemn in judgment all those who assail me, distinguishing through me between the just and the wicked. For thou knowest the whole intent of a creature, thou discernest every reply, and thou hast established my heart on thy teaching and truth, directing my steps into the paths of righteousness, that I may walk before thee in the land of the living, into paths of glory and infinite peace, which shall never end. For thou knowest the inclination of thy servant, that I have not relied upon the works of my hands to raise up my heart, nor have I sought refuge in my own strength. I have no fleshly refuge, and thy servant has no righteous deeds to deliver him from the pit of no forgiveness. <laughs> but I lean on the abundance of thy mercies, and hope for the greatness of thy grace, that thou wilt bring salvation to flower, and the branch to growth, providing refuge in thy strength, and raising up my heart. Now we're going to pause there, and look. I have no fleshly refuge, and thy servant has no righteous deeds to deliver him from the pit of no forgiveness. Yeah, he really said that. For a hymn writer to proclaim God's mercies and everything, and then to say, well, you know, if I had, like, good works and stuff, like, I wouldn't have to be in the pit of no forgiveness. So I'm saved by mercy. I'm saved by grace. And now I'm kind of thinking... At this point, maybe that explains some of these contradictions and everything, is it seems to me that the Qumran community held to a kind of situational, circumstantial theology. They didn't like the idea of a one-size-fits-all. So on the one hand, they can embrace crass Pelagianism, and they can embrace total ecclesiolatry, saying you're not saved unless you're part of the Qumran community, and you also have to like enter into the covenant with us and be a very, very good boy that never messes up ever or else we're going to kick you out and that means you're damned. You know, you're saved by your works. But at the same time, they can say, oh, God is so merciful. He's going to open up everybody's eyes to super great mercy if they're part of God's people and then there's forgiveness and stuff. Well, because in their eyes... God uses unjust weights and measures. To some people, God says, uh, wrath for you, unless you are a very, very good boy and you uh, make sure to have your manners all squared away and you dot your I's and you cross your T's and you go through all the processes and then maybe you have eternal mercy. And other people, he says, no, 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 no. You were predestined for damnation and I put a demon in your soul to make sure that that happened. And other people, he says, well, you were obviously led astray and you're definitely evil for a while but I am going to have an eschatological event where I open your eyes because you are part of my particular ethnic people that I really really like and then to this guy 
who writes here, I lean on the abundance of thy mercies and hope for the greatness of thy grace that thou wilt bring salvation to flower and the branch to growth, providing refuge in thy strength and raising up my heart. For in righteousness, for in thy righteousness thou hast appointed me for thy covenant and I have clung to thy path and gone forward in thy ways. This guy's saying, yeah, so uh, I'm saved by grace through faith. This is great. God made that exception clause for me. This is God, according to them, being very particular about how he addresses certain people. That's bad. I mean, I mean, this is me speculating here. Maybe they'll clear it up in their theology later as to how you, how you unfurl this Gordian knot of their theology. But it seems to me that there's this maze of how God is going to treat you based on some capricious whim. It's almost like Islam. Following the five pillars of Islam and converting to Islam, making the, uh, you know, making the big pilgrimage to Mecca and everything, and praying five times a day, and going on jihad, all that stuff doesn't necessarily guarantee you salvation. Because if, if you did say that it guaranteed you salvation, well, that's taking away from the sovereignty of Allah here. So it's never 100% guarantee. The Muslims will say, well, this is just the best way to go about it, to maximize your chances of salvation. It seems to me in Qumran that they have kind of that same idea of God's sovereignty lending itself to being um, God's capriciousness. And that's, that's no bueno because scripture says God is not a respecter of persons. But let's go ahead and finish up the hymn here. <clears throat> Thou hast made me a father to the sons of grace, and as a foster father to men of marvel. They have opened their mouths like little babes. Dot, 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 like a child playing in the lap of its nurse. Thou hast lifted up mine horn above those who insult me and those who attack me. Sway like the boughs of a tree. My enemies are like chaff before the wind, and my dominion is over the sons of iniquity. For thou hast succored my soul, O my God, and hast lifted my horn on high. And I shall shine in a sevenfold light in the council appointed by thee for thy glory. For thou art an everlasting heavenly light to me, and wilt establish my feet upon level ground forever. Hopefully he doesn't establish that truck beeping outside. You know what I'm saying? And that's it for him number 15. Very odd how they're willing to just say stuff that um, you can't really square the circle unless we're talking um, a capricious god in their eyes. But something that would make this a little bit more interesting is if this is a, uh, a prophecy for them anyway of the messiah this is the hymn writer attempting to do a heckin prophecy arena here and say well this is what the messiah is going to say now the qumran community had the messiah ben aaron and the messiah ben judah um sorry the messiah ben levi who was supposed to be a levitical priestly messiah and then a judah king you know, descendant of King David, Messiah. That was how they read the scriptures. It could be that they're trying to say this is the only exception to their, uh, to their theology and their odd soteriology, in which we as Christians are going to go ahead and disagree. If you're going to say that the Messiah ben Judah here is a figure who is um, forgiven of his sins 
and saved by faith, or saved by grace through faith, and then he leads the people. No, Jesus is sinless. The, the case in which Christ is an exception to the usual uh, soteriology of mankind, that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, is because he is the object of faith. So him being born without original sin in the incarnation, you know, God incarnating as a human being for us, he is the exception because he is the object of faith already. He is the one to whom we put our trust. It's not some people are more accepted than others, and by no means would anybody ever in their right mind call the Messiah a, a sinner that needs mercy from God. But let's go ahead and read hymn number 16, see if maybe, maybe just a little bit they clarify. I thank thee, O Lord, for thou hast enlightened me through thy truth, in thy marvelous mysteries, and in thy loving kindness to a man of vanity, and in the greatness of thy mercy to a perverse heart, thou hast granted me knowledge. Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord, and who is according to thy truth? Who, when he is judged, shall be righteous before thee? For no spirit can reply to thy rebuke, nor can any withstand thy wrath. Yet thou bringest all the sons of thy truth and forgiveness before thee, to cleanse them of their faults through thy great goodness, and to establish them before thee through the multitude of thy mercies forever and ever. For thou art an eternal God, and all thy ways are determined forever and ever, and there is none other beside thee. And what is a man of naught and vanity that he should understand thy marvelous mighty deeds? Okay, so we get a little bit deeper in here. When he says, Thou bringest all the sons of thy truth in forgiveness before thee to cleanse them of their faults through thy great goodness, um, it's, okay, look at mankind's original sin. Okay, so yes, those who had the good spirit get forgiven. They get forgiven of their sins instead of being tossed into the pit of no forgiveness. The ones who had the bad spirit, they're getting tossed in the pit of no forgiveness, which means they're never cleansed. Okay, that's their general tack on how it's supposed to be, you know, except for the people that are in the exception clause. Potentially the Messiah ben Judah figure in the previous psalm, him, Thanksgiving him, whatever. And this guy who says, you know, you've, you've given me the gnosis to understand this, that this is how it is. And... Well, okay. Okay. I'm still saying that this is kind of capricious here, though. Just a little bit of a arbitrary, just everywhere to be found in Qumran theology. But let's see here. How long is hymn 17? All right, we're going to go ahead and read hymn 17, then we'll call it a day. <clears throat> I thank thee, O God, for thou hast not cast my lot in the congregation of vanity, nor hast thou placed my decree in the council of the cunning. Thou hast called me to thy grace, and to thy forgiveness thou hast brought me, and by the multitude of thy mercies, and to all judgments of righteousness. As for me, I am an unclean man, and from the womb of her who conceived me I am an unclean man, and from the womb of her who has conceived me I am in sinful guilt, and from the breast of my mother in injustice, and in the bosom of my nurse in great impurity, and from my youth I am in blood, and until my old age in the iniquity of the flesh. But thou, O my God, thou hast established my feet in the way of thy heart, and hast opened my ears to thy wonderful tidings, and my heart to understand thy truth. Dot, dot, dot. For I have closed my ears to thy teaching until dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Without knowledge hast thou cut out of me, and glory, dot, dot, dot. 
No more for me a stumbling block of iniquity, for thou dost reveal thy salvation, and thy righteousness is made firm forever, for man is not the master of his way, for thou hast done all this for thy glory. So, here we see a little bit of humility out of the hymn writer here who says, you know, yeah, I'm a guilty boy. I've done bad things. My mommy was bad too, so I got bad even from birth. But then he says, thou hast not cast my lot in the congregation of vanity. So thank you, O God, for predestining me to be the good guy. Back to the kind of super duper double predestination bit with zero people having any free will. And he's saying, boy, howdy, I'm glad that, um, that I happen to be one of those guys that's predestined. This is, this is swell. <sighs> yeah, Qumran. All right, catch all next week for that. Amen and amen.